The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Um, I want to, before we get into this, I want to just introduce uh, my family to you, get to know a little bit of us and who we are. Um, we had spent the past three and a half years in seminary at Covenant Seminary down in St. Louis. Uh, we left there uh, about a week and a half ago, 70 degrees. Just to let you know, about 70 degrees. We're moving, unpacking the truck tomorrow. I think the high tomorrow, one degree. Um, so it's going to be pretty interesting. Um, so yeah, this is our family. I'm actually wearing the same sweater and shirt. <laughs> pretty, pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. I got a beard, though. That's, I got a beard. All right. Um, so this is my better half, Bliss. Bliss and I have been married for about uh, almost 10 years. I feel like we can be officially you know, have some credibility saying we're almost married 10 years. And uh, my wife and I met in grad school at Wheaton down in Chicago for, we studied uh, clinical psychology. We're actually both licensed, we were both licensed counselors. So our fights are really interesting, just to let you know. Like, they're just really, really bizarre. Um, and then our five-year-old, our oldest, is Cadence. Um, our three-year-old right there, that's Colson. And our three-month-old is Charlie. And uh, we just wanted to confuse you more because the Jacksons have all the C names. We're just adding three more to make you even more confused, okay? So just pick a C name and you'll probably sometime hit hit one of those kids. So, yeah. So that's our family. And uh, um, just a little bit, a little more background. Um, Prior to uh, being at Covenant Seminary, I was a a worship pastor over across the river uh, at Spring Lake Church. Uh, we served there for about eight years uh, doing worship there. And, uh, and if I can go back further and tell you all the crazy things I've done. I've worked in the music industry. I've, uh, I've done all kinds of all counseling things, all kinds of crazy things, and we can get into that at some other point. But, uh, again, that's where we are today, and I'm just really, really thankful to be here with you and also to be vertical. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> I wanted to pull the mic up. Is that better? Can you hear me? All right. Um, I wanted to introduce you to another member of our family. This is Bubba. Um, I'm not sure how he landed the name Bubba, but this is this is Bubba. Some call him Loveys. Some call him Blankies. Some call him Security Blankets. You might remember Linus from Peanuts, having his uh, that he carried around. But this is Colson's Bubba. And uh, I remember in grad school for psychology, learning to call them transitional objects. That's what they were called. And I'll just give you a little bit of an education on what transitional objects are for. Transitional objects are intended to provide a child with physical and psychological comfort as they deal with the transition between dependence and independence, between having a parent always around and being left alone. You usually see these blankets, these bubbas come out, uh, at nighttime, when you're tucking in a child, and you hand them their bubbas, and they know when they, are, when they receive the bubba that they're basically, their mom or dad is leaving the room and they have their bubba to hang on to us. So as we tuck in our three-year-old Colson into bed, we know there's not going to be peace in his room until bubba is found. And I, I have spent literally hours of my life hunting down Bubba in order that our son can fall asleep without too much drama. Thankfully, he has two Bubbas. So there are times where we will have to just tell him, you know what, it's just the one tonight, buddy. Um, but Bubba helps Colson by serving basically as a bridge between 
having mom or dad around, and being alone in his room. Bubba is basically a promise that we make to him as his mom and dad that we're coming back. You can almost see his body relax as Bubba touches his face like all is right with the world. As we grow up, all of us, as we get a little older, it'd be easier for us to believe that we've grown out of our need for Bubba's. We're self-sufficient people. We don't need any kind of reassurances that things are going to be okay, right? But then we face our own difficult or painful or unexpected transition, and we're left groping around to find some way to calm ourselves or, or make ourselves feel better. My family just experienced a significant transition saying goodbye to our friends at seminary. Um, and I created my own little bubbas by, by like texting them like the day after and saying, you know, hey, how you doing? What's going on? And they text us back. And I was like, okay, yeah, they're still there. Or I, or I would say, when we'd say goodbye, you know, there'd be tears and we'd just say, oh, we'll, we'll see you again at graduation or we'll see you soon. We, we just created these ways to make ourselves feel a little bit better. But it, it wasn't enough. There's still p- tears. There's still pain of having to let go of someone that you love. Um, we spent Christmas in Indiana and visited a close family friend who's dying of cancer. Um, this was probably the last time we were going to see her. And uh, it was painful to explain to my five-year-old what it meant uh, without feeling the pain or grief. As I, as I encouraged him to come, I was like, buddy, come give Sylvia a hug goodbye. And he looked at me and he said, for the last time? I was like, yep, probably for the last time. This church is experiencing a loss in transition as Jason, who has faithfully served a shepherd and mentor many in the church, is moving on. It's not enough just to say, it'll, it'll be okay. These kinds of transitions need something more than little bubbas to give us an ability to cope. We desperately want to know, like Colson experiences and when Bubba touches his face, we want to know that all is once again going to be right with the world. Our scripture this morning comes from Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn there. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen behind me. Before we read this passage, I I just wanted to remind us that the original hearers of these words were dealing with difficult transitions themselves. This book was written around 60 AD, during a time when the church was going through significant adjustments of its own. The threat of persecution was heightened, and the followers of Jesus were hearing his words that promise that he said, I'm coming back in the same way I left. But those words that he said are seeming farther and farther away from them as these pressures just start to mount. Political powers are becoming more intense in opposing the work of the church. And they're forcing people to leave their homes or their countries for safety and refuge. They, like us living in the transition between 2013 and 2014, needed assurance that things were going to be okay. And it was in words like Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5, they were handed a transitional object, a promise that would serve to sustain them 
and give them and us the comfort that we need to know that all will once again be right with the world. Read with me the words of Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, as we read these words, We remember that these words are faithful and true promises that you have given us. To know that our end is not here. Our end is in what we just read. And so, Father, we pray as we, as we open these words and unpack them a little bit, that you would help us to see the comfort that can come from these words the comfort that can come in the midst of difficult transitions, the comfort that we can experience through your word and through your promises that this glorious city that we see here is a reality. Help us to hang on to these words and help us to understand them more clearly today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We might read these words and uh, and feel a strong disconnect, maybe. Like these images are just beyond reality. Like, and in one sense, they are. I mean, Revelation is not to be taken completely literal. It's, it's more like an impressionistic painting where we can see what is being represented without, without having maybe all the precision of like a photograph or a blueprint. But God doesn't want us to read these passages from a distance, believing that they have no bearing on our current reality. The question I want to ask today is, how does this picture of God's glorious city have any impact on those of us living in Green Bay, Wisconsin in 2013? There's three things I want us to see here in this passage. First, we're going to see a river of life which sustains us. Second, we're going to see a throne of God which secures us And third, we're going to see the face of God shining upon us. First, we see a river of life which sustains us. We, in Green Bay, we live in a city that has a river running through the middle of it, right? But there's a marked difference between the Fox River and this one. First, it's it's crystal clear. There is a purity in this river unlike anything we have ever experienced. To the original audience, uh, there's probably an even greater appreciation for something so pure. As many of the water systems of their day were polluted with waste and runoff. Second, this river is serving to sustain the tree of life, which runs along each side of the river banks. Where, do you remember where we've seen the tree of life in the Bible before? At the beginning, 
in Eden. John's words offer a picture of a restored Eden. The river provides life and vitality to everything which surrounds it. Crops, 12 months of the year, ample variety of fruit and leaves which have healing quality to all of the people from all of the nations which reside there. And notice the source of the river. It flows from the throne of God and the Lamb, which most agree is referring to both the Father and the Son seated there. How can this river described in Revelation have anything to do with us? Where else do we see living water in Scripture? This is Jacob's well, so I'm sure you've heard the passage from John 4 that talks about uh, the woman at the well wanting that living water where she, doesn't, she won't thirst any longer. And in John 7, Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. The Spirit of God, who now resides in a believer's heart, gives us life and vitality and produces in us fruit like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. We are given the Spirit of God, Spirit, the Scripture tells us, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come here in Revelation 22. This river of life, the Spirit of God flowing through the city is accessible to us today. He asks us to drink in order that we may live fruitful lives. And what we drink can directly affect who we are. Our son Cadence, when he was two years old, gave us quite a scare. Uh, right after we moved to seminary, on two separate occasions, he would wake up in the middle of the night raging, like raging, screaming. I'm not kidding. Crawling up the walls, growling, drooling, convulsing. And we, we as parents, we couldn't do anything to soothe him. We'd go in his room, and I, I just remember holding his stiff and violent body, looking at my wife with tears in both of our eyes and praying and asking the question both of us were thinking, is he, is he possessed? It, it, it was a week later, raising our concern with the doctor, that he said very nonchalantly, oh, that's probably because of the steroid he's taking. Uh, that was steroid psychosis you were seeing. And I was like, what? <laughs> like steroids were doing this to him? Where was that on the Walgreens label? Seriously. Once we saw the connection between his behavior and the meds that were going into his little body, we immediately took him off of it. And we were able to enjoy our son again and enjoy a night of sleep as well. <laughs> in a similar way, this picture of the river of life in Revelation 22 relates to our present spiritual diet. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 warns us that we have the potential to quench the spirit, the river of living water which resides in us. We have a tendency to drink polluted and murky water, hoping it will satisfy for men and more and more women, the cesspool of pornography says drink, and we drink. And its effects begin to show in our lives, withering relationships, leaving us feeling isolated or condemned or utterly disappointed, hopeless. 
Or maybe it's the artificial sweeteners of entertainment, be it social media or like 10,000 Netflix choices that ask that we just feast at the table for hours on end. And before we know it, we're asking what happened to our once vital relationship with God. Our diet needs radical changing. Scripture consistently provides an invitation to drink, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never thirst again. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Drink deeply of the clean water of the Spirit, which is already ours in Christ. There you will find refreshment for your souls. What does drinking from this river look like practically for those of us maybe dealing with difficult transitions or seasons of life? Well, it might involve listening, paying attention to the Spirit's prompt, which directs us to lean into this person or run away from that temptation. It might mean offering some cool water of encouragement to someone you see struggling with doubt or questions about the things that life has dealt them. It may involve finding ways in your life to quiet some of the demands which are begging for your attention and taking time to listen to his still small voice in prayer or scripture. In a marriage, it may mean having to share the spirit's fruit of self-control or patience when your spouse is not where you would want them to be. As we plant ourselves beside the river of life found in the Spirit of God, we will begin to see an increased ability to face difficult transitions or seasons of life with less fear or anxiety and more of a sense that we have what we need when we need it. So drink and be satisfied. Not only does this river of life found in the Spirit sustain us, we also see in verse 3 the throne of God securing us. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Here we are given the picture of a king ruling over his divine city and his people working alongside of him, doing what they were originally created to do, which is worship him. God's throne is fixed and immovable through the work of Christ in defeating death and forever removing the curse of sin on our behalf. There is nothing outside of his power. There is a comfort found when we see that there are no more enemies attempting to defeat us, but we are safe within the walls of a king who has defeated every possible enemy. We can rest in this hope and find lasting security when difficult situations or seasons come our way and everything around us says all hope is lost. I think of the scene from The Lord of the Rings, the last movie, The Return of the King, in which uh, I believe it's Pippin, I don't know the characters real well, but Pippin is sitting with Gandalf as the enemy soldiers are getting ready to break through the city's fortress and attack them. And as the walls are beginning to rumble with the threat of their presence, Pippin looks at Gandalf with fear and he says, I didn't think it would end this way. And Gandalf looks at him with surprise and he says, end? Oh, the journey doesn't end here. With an unmistakable look of peace on his face, he goes on to describe a far greater country with a swift sunrise. 
There's a confidence in his demeanor that what is happening in their present state of battle will soon be over. And you watch as Pippin slowly relaxes and finally responds with, that's not so bad. The throne of God and the Lamb provides us with a present day security that Christ is the victor and the one who rules over all things. There may be some of us in this room today who are saying, like Pippin, I I didn't think it would end this way. We're looking at our battles maybe with addiction or depression, our battles within our family or in our struggling marriage or our career paths being detoured or derailed or rejection from those who were once close to us and we're prone to believe that this is where it ends. Friends, this is not the end. The throne of God and of the Lamb assures us of that. As we read Google headlines and wonder if there will ever be an end to this continual battle with sin or corporate corruption or violent dictators, God reminds us to look to his throne where he is seated securely. Practically speaking, living in light of this security, it's not easy. We're not asked to live in denial that things aren't difficult or painful or problematic. Revelation 22 doesn't happen until the rest of the book comes to life which acknowledges some of the struggles and sufferings which are going to happen prior to Christ's coming again. But Jesus reminds us of this in John 16 as he's aware of his own disciples' rejection of him. They're going to scatter and they're going to leave him alone to face the cross. And he says to them, I have said these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Revelation 22.3 allows us to take heart and find security, rest, and peace in a throne which overcomes all things brought on by the fall. We can then find courage to continue to fight the battles that we are facing in life, knowing that victory, although it's not always seen or always experienced, is indeed ours through Christ. So the question I'm asking is like, what battles might he be asking you to remain fighting in light of this victory? I don't know if I can stay married to this person. Remember the throne. I don't know if I can forgive my mom or my dad or someone who's hurt me terribly. Remember the throne. I don't know if I have the energy to even get up tomorrow. Remember the throne. There you're going to find courage to keep on fighting. A wise theologian uses a picture, a kind of a metaphor, that we live between D-Day and V-Day. There's still a battle that's going on right now. But the victory has happened. So remember the throne. Finally, in addition to being sustained by the river of life and being secured by the throne of God, we are given the promise of God's face shining upon us. Verse 4, to the original audience familiar with the scriptures, is a shock. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. Never, never before in scriptures have people seen directly the face 
of God. In our sinful condition, seeing the face of God means instant death. Moses only saw the back of God, and even then he had to veil his face from the people. This passage demonstrates to us how God is a God of relationship. He wants his people to finally see him. This verse is an answer to the question that God posed in Genesis 3.9 when he asked of Adam and Eve, where are you? There is no more need for hiding from God's face because in Christ, we will be able to behold it without fear of punishment or condemnation. We will reflect his glory with his name on our forehead meaning that we are sealed with the seal of ownership and adoption. This child is mine. We are his and he is ours. Like the priests in the Old Testament who entered the Holy of Holies with the phrase, holy to the Lord on their foreheads and on their chest, we have the same ability to enter into the presence of God. Verse 5 continues by depicting the radiance of God's glory and stating there will be no more night or need for lamp or sun. Here we see our glorious God serving his people by bringing light to every place in the city. His glory and perfection will warm his children like nothing else could. The meaning of life is found here It's not to achieve nirvana. It's not the number 42. It's not to live a good life and have a few kids and grandkids. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him fully. This passage offers this possibility by allowing us access to God himself. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. But this full access to God would not be possible and cannot be possible without a lamb. God's son, in perfect obedience, knew that access to the face of God in our sin-stained condition would require justice and judgment for our disobedience. Separation from the face and presence of God, that's our curse And Jesus, in his words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, experiences the agony and punishment of life apart from the face and presence of God. It's torturous, it's brutal, and it's horrifying. Our curse, that separation from God, became his, and he shields his children from this awful reality. And in declaring, it is finished, The temple curtain is torn and the presence of God is fully accessible to those who are in Christ. Our father with arms wide open invites his children into his glorious, fully lit presence. And in a final act of love and grace, he allows us the undeserved privilege, sit with me children and rule with me forever and ever. This city of God, friends, it's not far off. It's promised, and it's coming. But the city of Green Bay is where we live today. And 150,000 plus people are being confronted with their own difficult, confusing, and painful transitions. When you think about Green Bay, 
What kind of bubbas or insufficient promises are people maybe clinging to here? Is it the promise of a title returning to title town? Is it the promise of job security or financial stability? Is it the promise of spring coming again in the midst of sub-zero temperatures? As a church, we have the opportunity and the responsibility to offer a drink from the crystal clear river of life to the citizens living around the murky fox by displaying the fruit of God's spirit. We have the chance to extend assurance of a throne which conquers every battle and every enemy as we show people our own clinging to God's promised victory in the face of our own battles and losses. And we have the privilege of shining the light of Christ's glorious hope to the dark places of this world we live by extending others forgiveness, the forgiveness that we've been allowed access to. So let's cling to this hope and extend the same hope to the community around us. Maybe our New Year's resolution for 2014 might be in praying, thy kingdom come on earth in Wisconsin, in Green Bay, in my neighborhood, in my home, in my mind, in my heart, in my hands. Thy kingdom come as it is in this Revelation 22 promise of heaven. Let's pray. Father God, help us to remember that this hope and this promise is real. That you provide us this spirit of living water now that we are able to drink and taste of. That you have given us security in the throne, that every battle that we face, every enemy that we face has been conquered. And Father, that we can look forward to seeing your face again, to see you face to face, knowing that we are your children, secure and safe in our Father's presence. Thank you for the invitation that you give us in this passage to remember the city and our home where we are destined to live. We pray that it would inform us in our day-to-day reality. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.